It's the Productized Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thank you for tuning in. I've got a great conversation for you today. I talked to Natasha Lekich from New York Book Editors. She runs a really interesting service for authors who are looking to have their book professionally edited and typically published traditionally on, on the big, like real books out in the, out in the bookstore. <laughs> um, so it was a really great conversation, really interesting to hear how kind of her journey from working in the publishing industry into going out on her own, trying a software app and then getting into a service and growing that really rapidly, partnering with her brother, up to managing a team of 25 plus editors, combining software automation with some manual human automation and and matching up editors to clients and that sort of stuff, really interesting stuff. Even early on, how she a really unique way that she got her first customers from some viral content that they put together. Pretty incredible story there and how they've kind of doubled down on content over the last uh, two plus years or so. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Natasha from New York Book Editors. Enjoy. All right, I'm here with Natasha Lekic from New York Book Editors. Natasha, thanks for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me, Brian. Great. So, um, so I've known you for a couple of years now and been watching what you've been doing with New York Book Editors, and that's nybookeditors.com if you're listening. Before we really dive into your backstory, and, and I, you know, I'm really interested to hear how you've built this and where you came from before, but also we're going to dive into the operations of how you manage such a large volume of, of book editing projects and a team and, and all that. So before we get into all that, why don't you give us a quick introduction about New York Book Editors and where it's at today and kind of what you spend your time on today. Sure. Um, so New York Editors, we started four years ago. And right now we're at uh, about 35 editors on our team. Last year, our gross revenue was almost 700K. Really, it doesn't take on the operational side. It's just me and one other person, my brother. So it doesn't take that much um, on the operation side, which is something I guess we'll get into. Oh, so you're you're in business with your brother? Yes. And you're you you are the founder and with him or what what's his role? So I'm the founder and um, he joined two years in. And what does he do? Um, so he does most uh, basically the customer support, facilitates the edits, answers all the questions, guides authors through the process. Yeah. So your core management team is pretty small, but I understand you have like quite a few editors and like what does your entire team kind of look like? Right. So the editors are all contractors. There are 35 of them. Um, some of them we work with on a very regular basis, and then others are real, really specialized in genres that we don't see very often. So we work with them less frequently. So what, what does your service basically do for customers? So we we basically help... There, Either authors who who want to publish traditionally, so they want to find an agent, they want to get a publisher, and we work with them basically to help them polish that work to get it ready for to catch an agent's eye. And all of our editors are have had at least four years of in-house experience at at one of the major publishing houses. So um, the authors are getting, you know, the same experience they would if, if they were at a Penguin Random House or HarperCollins. Um, so these editors really know what the agents are looking for and how to help the authors get there. And then on the other side, we work with authors who want to self-publish, but want to do it in a very professional way, want to make sure that their book is polished 
and copy edited and um, and so they want to to follow a similar process that, to the publishing houses. Very cool. And so you're focused specifically on books, obviously, like like feature length books. Like we have editors at, at Audience Hops for blog content, and there's plenty of other editing work out there. You guys don't really touch any of that other stuff. No, we don't. We only work with books and only with authors who have a full draft of their manuscript. Got it. I imagine you, you get a lot of authors who aren't there yet. Is that right? Yes. So we um, we explain to them why it's better for them to write their full draft first um, before working with us. And, you know, we, we try to give them some resources to help them get there. Do you have a background in editing and, and publishing? Is, is that how you came into this? Yes. So I worked for Atlas & Co. They're distributed by Norton. They, um, they publish literary nonfiction. I have edited some books, but I was mostly on the business side. I realized fairly quickly that um, that wasn't the best area for me. But yeah, that that is my background. Huh, interesting. So let's go back and we're going to get into your story of how you kind of transitioned out of that position and then into owning your own business and growing New York book editors. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's just kind of go back. So you're based in New York. Is that right? I was until very recently. I was near you in, um, well, from New York to Connecticut very close to where you are, and um, moved to Miami last August. Oh, wow. Yeah, a lot nicer weather. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe not in August, but most of the time. Got it. And you're not going to change the branding of New York book editors because of this move or anything? No, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very nice. And I imagine, your t is your team all remote? Yes. So I'm the only one down here. Most of our editors are in New York. But, you know, there are also some who, who end up leaving their publishing house and freelancing from the Midwest or California. So yeah, like early on, as you were kind of coming up, coming into your career, like, did you know that you would eventually end up owning your own editing company? Or like, is that how you saw things growing for yourself? Or like, what, what did you have your sights set on as, as you kind of got into this business? Well, early on, I had no idea that I would ever do anything like this. I always thought of people who started businesses as, I don't know, either extremely smart and capable in ways that I wasn't, or that they, you know, had a lot of resources behind them so they could fail a lot <laughs> and, um, and it wouldn't matter. So no, I, I never imagined that I would do something like this. I ended up doing it because I bounced around a lot in terms of careers. I had a stint at an investment bank first and then an advertising agency before I, I got to publishing. It just seemed like corporate structure wasn't a good fit for me. And publishing was my favorite industry to be in. But after after a few years, I just felt like I wasn't growing there. And it seemed so tempting. There were so many opportunities because self-publishing was becoming um, a viable option for authors. What year was that? Um, uh, up to 2012. And um, New York Book Editor started in 2013. So, I mean, at that point, you made the decision to leave the job and start New York Book Editors. Is, is that right? Or, or how did you transition in, into that? No. Well, there was... I failed at something first. Um, I wanted to build an app to help children build um, animated storybooks. And it took about six months to figure out that that wasn't going to work. I had two co-founders who were on the, uh, both a technical co-founder and a designer. That's cool. Like, were you doing that on the side while you were still employed or after you, you already left your job? Or Yeah, I did that after I left. So time was really ticking in terms of, you know, how soon I had to I had to make money. And New York Book Editors was a way for me to get back to what I really understood well, 
Well, so I, I just want to kind of understand that transition because I know that there are a lot of people listening who may still be in, in a job and they're thinking about making a jump like that or, you know, they're trying to grow out of a solo consultancy or something. So you're at this position at, at, at the publishing house. What were you thinking in terms of like your next move? Like, were you sure that you were going to, you know, become self-employed and look for ventures or you met those partners on the app or what did that look like? Well, while I was still there, I believe I... I wanted to try something on my own and there's there's a competition called I think Startup Weekend and I pitched at that and won which was how I found my co-founders but there was there was no cash <laughs> there wasn't a cash prize it was more like a publicity um, prize and from that point we we they were actually doing it on the side and I was the only one doing it full time So you guys are trying to get that off the ground and building it and now you're self-employed, you're looking at ways to, how can you get cash and keep self-funding this, right? And that's that, that's how you came into New York Book Editor. So what was kind of your first step to starting that? The first step was talking to an editor who was a friend of mine who worked for FSG and asking him if he would be willing to, to freelance for it, what he thought of it. He loved the idea and he agreed. And I wasn't technical at all. So I sort of cobbled together a site on Squarespace and then took an SEO class for, I think, $60, which basically taught you, I mean, the very, very basics of what SEO is. But that was enough because based on that, I put together what I hoped would be some viral content. Um, it was a map to help authors get out of writer's block. And um, luckily, I, I didn't even know what Tumblr was. Luckily, Someone put it on Tumblr and it ended up getting 42,000 shares. So so we were suddenly visible online. That's what basically started the business. Wow. So this piece of content went out before you even had any customers and that's Yes. That's how you you got your first exposure and first traffic to the site and everything. Yes. Yes. So I think people the organic search suddenly picked up. Wow. Can you go over again, like, what was that piece of content? It was a map for for aspiring authors, or what was that? Yeah, it, well, it was basically an infographic for authors who had writer's block. So, you know, it would ask one question at the top, and then depending on your answer, yes or no, you know, you'd, you'd go to the next. And it took me about a week to actually put it together. I collected a lot of really classic and great advice for, for authors, depending on what their issue it was, what what was um, what was holding them back. So it wasn't sort of something that you know took a few hours to put together, but it turned out to be well worth <laughs> the time spent. Yeah, that's amazing. And so at this point, when you're creating that piece of content and you've you've taken the SEO course, you put the Squarespace site up. I mean, you're basically thinking like um that you're launching this as a standalone business. This isn't really like let's go try to find some quick freelance work on the side. This is like launching a whole new brand. Well, I don't think I, to be honest, had big ambitions other than I remember the number that I, ha I had to make $2,500 a month. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of, I started it thinking, well, that's what I have to try to make. Okay, so that first infographic pretty much goes viral and you launch your your site. What happens next? And from then on, it's just a scramble to figure out how to write to clients, how to put together the form, 
a lot of that first year or even second year was just a ton of sort of one-on-one personalized customer service. And the actual service itself or the things that you were selling, did you have a clear idea of what you were selling very early on? Like, was it always specifically book editing or did you kind of shift between different models? Like, what did that look like very early on? It was always book editing and it stayed that way. Uh, After the first foray into the app world, I really wanted to do something that, that, as I mentioned, I felt I understood very well. And I felt like it was a service that would be so important for independent authors, not just, you know, authors who end up being acquired. Right. And so it's also interesting that you went from venturing into a software product and then into very quickly launching New York Book Editors as a service. I mean, I've seen this myself where launching a service, launching a productized service, if you will, is is just so much faster to get up and running and get to revenue much more quickly than a software product. And I've seen that several times in different stages. Is that what you were thinking there? Where, like having come off of the, you know, putting six months into this, trying to build an app, let's look at something that I can actually launch quickly? Yes. So I didn't realize that that being a service would make it easier. I just, it was more that I understood the value very well in that space. But I wish someone had told me that <laughs> before the before I started building the app. Okay, so you have all this traffic coming to the new site. The content is, is working for you from day one, which I think is really unique. It's very rare to see that sort of thing. I'm sure you're, you're aware of that. That's, that's very cool. So what did your first traffic and leads look like? And how did you actually, like, what did you learn when you were starting to talk to the very first prospects and get them on board with the service? Oh, so much. Um, well, we established the types of services that would be offered very early on, just based on what works at a publishing house. Of course, you have to sort of change it a little bit to make it work in this space. But the conversations were mostly to explain what the service is exactly, to share the profile of the editor, which is extremely important, which books they've worked on, where they've worked. So a lot of it was just establishing that credibility and answering questions about what expectations. And so you partnered with an editor and basically that was the person who did the editing work on those very first clients. And you you did sales, you were onboarding, you were managing the process. Exactly right. And how long did that last where it's just you and, and one other editor before things grew out from there? Like what was the next step? It lasted about four months. And then we that another superstar editor had just left her job. I sort of contacted her out of the blue. I didn't know her directly. And I said, hey, you want to have coffee with me? <laughs> and she agreed to come on board. And that's how it sort of it, it was all very much in terms of growing the team referral based whenever we'd hear about someone or or some or an editor would tell us, you know, you should speak to so and so they're they're really great at what they do. We would just take that opportunity. That's interesting. Is is the pool of professional book editors smaller? Or is it harder to, to find really highly skilled editors for what you do? Yes. I mean, the publishing industry is on the whole, it, I, the traditional industry is is really quite small. People tend to know each other. It's it's like a village. But the the broader world of freelance editing isn't like that. You know, these days online, anyone can say they're a book editor. Maybe they graduated with an English degree. Maybe they enjoy reading. So that pool is is very large. But it can also be hard to identify who really has experience because a lot of freelance editors have worked on, you know, self-published titles. It doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to edit very well. 
but it looks like they have a lot of credentials and some of them you know might edit very well but yeah that's actually something that i've learned inside audience ops over the last two years or so obviously we hire a lot of writers freelance writers and we've had some full-time writers and whatnot and then we have a couple of dedicated editors and what i what i've learned is that so early on we had some of the writers also doing editing like the writers don't edit their own stuff we always send a writer's article to a separate editor and early on we definitely identified like two people who are just really strong editors and they weren't even our best writers but they were by far our our best editors and giving really constructive feedback and all that and then more recently like in the past year we actually hired someone who is just an editor, a dedicated editor. And, and when I hired her, I thought it was actually interesting because she was like, I, I don't do writing. I'm just an editor. But it's it definitely goes to show, like that was definitely a minority or there aren't nearly as many, even in, in the freelance market, there are not nearly as many professional editors as there are writers. Right. That was a great sign that she told you she doesn't write. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, let's go on with the story here. So a couple months go by in terms of sales and and leads, like, is it just steady from the traffic that you're getting? or, Or what is that looking like early on? There's definite variation, you know, early on from month to month, more so in the first couple of years than now. But there was certainly always activity. Did you find that you needed to work to qualify customers where you might get a lot of authors who are not ready for editing yet or they don't have the right budget or that sort of thing? Yes. So early on, authors who, who weren't ready for an editor, we would just let them know. So now we're there are sort of two filters. One is my brother lets people know if he feels like they're not ready so it doesn't get shared with their editorial match. But if he thinks it's ready, the editor gets the submission first and lets us know whether they're genuinely interested in or not. That's a very important part of the process. Whether the editor is genuinely interested in the author's book. Correct. Because that's how it works most of the time in publishing as well. An editor will acquire a book that really resonates with them. I mean, editing in general is an extremely time intensive job. So you you really want to work on something that appeals to you. So if the editor says yes, only then does the author receive their profile. So you guys kind of match up one editor to one author or do you give them like two or three to choose from or how does that work? We give them one. <laughs> and there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that we've worked with these editors for so long that we just know, you know even with the nuances of, of what the author's project is, one name comes to mind. Oh, this is a perfect fit for so-and-so. So that's one reason. And I imagine you're also managing uh, availability. Not as much because um, that's sort of not, not a big issue for authors. If they find an editor who's the right fit, we've had project, we've had people wait as long as nine months to get their book edited. So timing isn't as big an issue. So what happens when somebody, when an author, a potential client, it kind of reaches out, they're interested, but they are just not a good fit or, or not a good fit yet for you guys? How do you handle them? We try to give them some resources. So we'll, you know, depending on which genre they write in, we might recommend some books in that genre and some some books on writing and just let them know that it would be best if if they try to work on it on their own for a while and then come back to us when they feel they're ready. You mentioned also pricing. So that's also something we do as soon as they sign up. Part of the form asks if they want to receive a quote estimate and which services they're interested in. So they mark off that. They get the quote that depends on their word count automatically. And then they actually have to take action. They have to click 
and say that they still want to receive an editor's profile after they receive the quotes. I see. So through the form, I noticed that on the website, you have like a range. Typical quotes for this editing project are, you know, X dollars to X dollars. I guess that helps to filter out leads before they come in. And then they go, they fill out a form and you're charging or your estimate quote is basically based on per word. Is that right? Yes. Got it. So it calculates that and then they, and then they submit after they see that number. Right. So they have to then say that they're still interested in order for us to review their work and make a recommendation. I think our businesses are actually similar in a lot of ways, different in others, but in terms of qualifying leads as they come through, yeah, you know, I'm trying to show the pricing on the homepage and then today we do a whole demo video walking through it again and then they kind of request the consultation. I think it's really important. How long is your consultation call? Well, so we're recording this in midway through 2017 and earlier this year I've changed it a bit. So early on it was basically just me doing a sales call with people and just answering general questions and then I wanted to make a more structured sales demo consultation and I had a whole slide deck that I would walk through live like one-on-one with, with each person. Uh, with a screen share. And then I just did that same slide demonstration, like again and again, and again, like hundreds of times, probably driving my wife crazy in the next room, hearing me like say the same <laughs> script over and over to a point where it's like, okay, so I had to like create a recorded version of this. And now what happens is they request a consultation, they fill out the form, then they book a time on my calendar. And then the, the next page that they see shows them a, like a 10 minute recorded demo, you know, me talking through that slide deck. And then we have our call already on the calendar. So two days later, I get on a call with them basically just to answer any kind of final questions. Oh, great. So that's been working. That's been a lot better for you, I imagine. Yes. Yeah. And and I mean, as we've like tweaked different things about the service, I've had to go back and redo the video and things like that. But at least it really, really qualifies, but also educates people about all the most common questions up front. So that by the time that we get on a call, A, it goes much faster, and B, we can just kind of dig into the random other questions that they have. Do you tag them as having reached a certain part of the video? Yeah. So, you know, we use Drip for everything. I know you guys are using Infusionsoft. But, you know, at the end of the day, it works very similar where we have different workflows and tagging. And then in the background, they're also getting some email sequences beyond like the personal outreach that that I'm doing around the sales call and the follow-up, they're also getting some educational stuff about audience ops, that kind of stuff. Cool. So these days, like, and now we're, what, four years in to New York book editors, four or five? Yes, four years in. What does this look like today? Like early on, you were doing sales, you're managing clients, you're managing editors, you're matching up editors to clients, you're interfacing between and figuring out like who's the best fit. Like how much of that are you still doing today? I'm not doing any of it today, luckily. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, like take me through like who are the different roles and what does that whole process look like today? Uh, So it's really Dan, my brother who does all of that, but it looks different from when I did it in the, in the early days, because once he took over, I had more time to develop a process around it and to automate um, some of it, which is actually this quarter where we're focusing on automating even more of it. So his job looks very different from what I did, basically. Yeah, I can imagine kind of optimizing it. And so, yeah, I mean, let's talk about like the boring operational stuff, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so person fills out the request form, right? Uh, so what happens next? So next, they'll receive a confirmation and the, the quote estimates if they indicated that they want it to, which most people do. Is that automated or are you guys like putting that together? That's all automated based on some of the fields that they filled out. And after that, 
as I mentioned, they they can click on um, to say that they they still want to be matched with an editor. Dan gets involved to review their their form, their submissions. In the meantime, they're also receiving an additional form that has, you know, you don't want to sort of, or we didn't want to bombard someone with a massive form at the first step, although it's still fairly long. But um, the second step asks for some more background, additional details about their history and their goals. So they're receiving that at the same time. They're also receiving some educational nurturing emails while we we say that it could take us four business days to get back to them. So Dan is reviewing their submission. Once he thinks of the right editor, the editor receives their, that's automated as well. So he'll put the editor's name in a field. Um, the editor will receive an email with all the author's information, depending on if they have an additional form or not, that will be included as well. And then the editor actually clicks on buttons to let us know whether they want to accept it or not. So is this all like custom software on the back end then? So it's all Infusionsoft with some custom HTTP posts. So you have a bit of software automation, a bit of personal review and, and matching up editors with writers, sorry, uh, editors with, with clients. How does somebody actually like sign up and pay for the service? Like how does that get initiated? So once the editor says yes, their profile is sent automatically to the author, uh, along with a description of the next step, which is a trial edit, and the cost is $165. And then they can basically click to buy to get that process started. And what's included in trial edit? Um, It's a 2,500 word read through, so about 10 pages, 1,500 word line edit, a short email with the editor's thoughts and a 20 minute phone call. And each piece of that functions to show the author sort of at a glance what different elements of an edit actually look like. Okay, so they're actually like purchasing this trial edit. They're getting some work from you guys, but all and, and they have this automation stuff going on in the background all before you guys are even getting on a call with them. Yes. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive. And is the conversion rate pretty high of people who purchase the the trial edit to then getting on a call and starting a larger project with you guys? Yes. So it's at eighty percent. Huh. So then. Uh, and then a typical editing project. You guys are focused on editing books, but I'd imagine that is there a high variability between projects like shorter books, longer books, different genres, that sort of thing? Or is it like a pretty standard process? It's a pretty standard process. We do have limitations, which the form just picks up. If the word count is too low, they can't submit the form just because you know, there's, there's a certain word count that that is a book. And then there's, you know, there are pamphlets. <laughs> uh, so the form has really helped us catch those. But other than that, it's just pretty standard. Got it. And then like through the editing of, of an entire book, who's managing like the back and forth of, of like delivering the first edit, managing revisions, communicating to the client? Is that the editor themselves? Or is your brother that kind of like manager in between? Or how does how does that work? My brother is the manager in between. So really, the editor is involved when it's actually sort of a, a follow-up proper conversation about the edit rather than, you know, we, we really we really try to not use up their time if it's something that is, is sort of transactional and just part of the process, yeah. Yeah, like that's very similar to what we try to do with audience apps where the writers are really focused just on writing. They do get on calls with clients initially and then occasionally when we do periodic 
calls if, if clients want that. But all the day-to-day, week-to-week emailing, we try to have the manager be the go-between. That's great. That's so important to help them get into flow and focus on what they're good at rather than constantly be interrupted. Yeah, absolutely. Like how many different projects is your brother kind of managing at any given time? Is that manageable or is it growing? What does that look like? So it's it's still manageable. It's about 20 projects a month. And, you know, we've even at 30 projects, it's manageable. He still has a normal nine to six work day. I think beyond that, maybe <laughs> maybe we'll have to change something. Yeah, this is something that I'm, I've been kind of on a constant refining that part of our process at Audience Apps, like the past year. We've had, like, we started out with one project manager, and then she grew to managing like 30 clients at the same time and kind of almost went crazy. <laughs> um, and then at that point, we brought on three or two additional project managers, um, which definitely helped. But what we also learned was training managers is much more difficult than training any other role on the team. Um, It's easy for us to scale up writers and to scale up even like editors and assistants. And we have that whole process really nailed down, but bringing on a project manager and we have pretty standardized, like really refined processes with onboarding and how we manage clients and, and everything. But there's still that like situational awareness that they need to pick up and they can only really get that over time. And I'm I'm still trying to figure out like the best way to, to handle that. I mean, at this point for you guys, it, it's basically just your brother kind of managing that client interfacing piece. Yes. And we've been, um, we spent a while trying to find a new employee. So I hear what you're saying. <laughs> um, and I don't know if there are any ways that, that you've managed to cut down on that time. I think even, even for him, it took him a long time to develop that situational awareness and be very good at it. I think it took probably about a year. Yeah. And I mean, for us, one thing that I think helped is somebody who's been on the team for a long time, like two of our three managers were writers for us for like a year, and then they became managers. So they were already pretty closely aware of our whole process. But that has a limit too, because not everybody on the team is either interested in becoming a manager or has those you know, the communication skills, they might be a really great writer, but they're not necessarily going to be a good fit as a manager. Right. It's funny you say, yeah, the communication skills, that's, I think that's, that's the piece that, that probably takes the most time to develop. And it's interesting that even writers have a challenge when it comes to that sort of course, email correspondence. Right. Like they're writers, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I mean, I, I think it, it's, it's interesting. Like some people really thrive in that sort of role and others just you really thrive in more like the creative and and research kind of role. So like, you know, as we start to kind of wrap up here, let's look at the the marketing side of things. So we talked about early on how you you did pretty well with SEO and viral content early on. Today, what does marketing look like and how are things growing? Uh, So a plug for audience ops is in order. Um, Really, you know, since we started working with you guys, I think it was probably a year and a half ago, right? Um, our traffic has really, really grown. And when you look at our analytics, obviously you always have, you know, your, your top pages, but for the most part, it's spread out so much more than it used to be. You know, people are just on, on a diverse of, of blog posts. And so I think, you know, really thanks to you guys, understanding the importance of, of content development has been a very, very big one. We recently, a team from Google recently got in touch with us. They identify companies that have sort of a high growth potential. 
So we're partnering with them now. They're basically going to run some AdWords campaigns for us. So that's that's sort of the next step. We've never advertised before. Oh, great. So I was, yeah, I was going to ask, have you done any sort of paid ads? So this, this will be it? This will be it. Well, we created a course last year. So we did do um, Facebook ads for that. And that was really our, our only advertising foray. I know you recently wrote about Facebook ads. Yeah, kind of testing it out, like in conjunction with using Facebook ads to promote content, basically, that goes in, into the email list. Have you ever tried AdWords? Uh, not for audience ops. I've done it very early on with Restaurant Engine, my, my previous business. And th- really, I, I used it early on just for validation. And this was like several years back now. So just to get like early validation on the sales page before we even had a product. Right. That was smart. Yeah. But yeah, I, I haven't really used it to... That might be something that I'm kind of missing out on a little bit. But I, I find AdWords, at least my understanding of it today is... And I could see how it would, it would actually work really well for you guys. Like people who are specifically searching to hire an editor right now, if they have a, that intent, you want to show up in Google search results. It's not the sort of thing where you would promote content into a funnel and a webinar thing. It's, it's more like, here's a service you're ready to buy. Here's an ad for it. So what's next? Like, what, what are you kind of working on today? I mean, you've grown to this to this size. Things are kind of scaling up and things are moving along pretty pretty nicely for you. But I like to give listeners kind of an insight into what's kind of the most challenging thing for you today. What are you working on improving? Really our traffic. Um, I mentioned that that's, you know, definitely been on the rise, but sort of understanding how to continue to to grow that and continue to grow that in a way that, that leads people to the homepage and the services page and to opt in. So I think that's sort of our, our biggest next step. And the reason where we're spending so much time on the back end is to prepare for, for being able to accommodate growth. Yeah. I mean, are you finding that you're just getting more than enough leads and you have to put people in a, in a queue, a waiting list or no, we're okay with the number of leads now, but I think if it, if it increases, appreciably, you know, we, we might have some issues. Well, very cool. Natasha, thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time. I think this was really helpful. I mean, I, I just think it's interesting to hear these transitions throughout your career and, and how you've been able to grow a service business, you know, that most people, like there are so many editors out there. There are so many freelance writers out there, designers, developers, whatever, whatever that skill may be, but you've managed to build this into a team, a brand, an operation that that can grow on its own. I think that's really impressive. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been, you know, I've learned so much from you over the years. So I'm just really happy to be on your podcast. And and hopefully I shared something that will be of value to someone. If anyone wants to learn more, um, they could definitely reach out to me. Yeah. So that's my last question. You're obviously your company is nybookeditors.com. Is there anywhere else people can connect with you? Yeah. Um, if you just email info at nybookheaders.com, I'll, I'll get the email as well. I'll, it'll be passed on to me. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks so much, Natasha. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Brian. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, before you go, did you know that in my newsletter list, there's a select group of folks who receive what I call my Friday notes emails. That's where I share some behind the scenes updates about the businesses that I'm working on in real time, some personal updates and some tips. They're kind of a change of pace from the other stuff that I usually send out. And so my longtime subscribers really enjoy these, these emails and I get a lot of feedback on them. 
Um, but if you're not getting them yet, you can actually get my next one by going to castjam.com slash Friday notes. That's Friday dash notes. I'll connect with you soon. Thanks for tuning in today.